And if you're new with us this morning, just to uh, bring you up to where we're at, we are in a series on community and God's image. You've heard a bit about that this morning. Um, And this is our fourth week uh, as we're thinking about community and God's image. What does that look like? Um, I was thinking about this and I thought, well, it might be good now to ask the question just to put it out there. Uh, as you think about things, what are some ways uh, people relate to one another to make a beautiful community? Just sort of throw that out. Like, what are some ways people will relate to one another to make a beautiful community? What are some, some of your thoughts on that? Anybody? Just yell it out. How would people relate to one another to make a beautiful community? What would that look like? Praying for one another. Thank you. Yes, praying for one another. Listening, breaking bread, yes. Getting to know, getting to know know one another, yes. Helping one another. another. Watching each other's kids, kids. very practical, yes, indeed. Laughing, having humor together, yes. Serving Serving together, yes. Following Following up on conversations. All good things, right, when we think about this. And uh, certainly uh, there are things that we've seen in our midst and we want to continue to grow in these things and we're going to be talking about them. Uh, Where in Scripture is there a description of a beautiful community? Anybody? Acts? Sure, what? And know what passage that is? Acts 2. Good. Who even knows the verses? We're really getting the Bible memory here, right? No, but Acts 2, right, and Acts 4 in particular really show us, you know, the idea of breaking bread together, of fellowship together, of what? Going over the apostles' teachings together, of sharing things in common together, uh, that praying together, some of the things that we talked about. There's this beautiful description in Acts, right? And then if we were to think about modern day, who are people that might, uh, might even be famous for... Uh, being someone who has this, type of, has this type of community. I'm sure there's one that might come to people's minds that was re- really famous, won Nobel Prize. It's a woman. How about Mother Teresa? She was sort of known for that, for that wanting a community where people be like this way. There's, there's someone else who lives in Canada. I know he's one of some of your favorite authors. Anybody? Henri Nouwen, does that name ring a bell? Yes. There are, there are people out there that right now have made an impact in our cultures and our society because they've lived for and have promoted this beautiful community. And so over the last uh, few weeks, where have we been? Well, where we've been is we've been laying down the foundation, sort of the theological foundation that moves us into a beautiful community. One of the things that we've said and we've looked at is that God is a beautiful community, right? God is a beautiful community. The Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, they have a relationship with one another where they have roles to play, and they play them, and they submit to one another, and they encourage one another. There's this sense that they live uh, as one, but also in differing diversity, work together to make things beautiful. And that relationship is a reflection of a beautiful community. 
And what we certainly know and what we've learned is that in humanity, that has been broken. It's been broken by, you know, what we call sin, which is rebellion against God, which is taking, taking uh, the God's glory and saying, no, we want to live for our own glory, for our own purposes. We can be God of our own lives. And as we do that, we separate ourselves from God. When we separate ourselves from God, we become people who, uh, as, a, as a matter of fact, begin to experience uh, polarization in so many ways in our relationships where there is shame, where there wasn't shame, uh, where there's pride, where there's that, that sense that I need to create an identity for myself. All those things have come from that. And so what we see is all this brokenness around us. And here's the thing, and what we learned last week and we learned is that God still wants that beautiful community and he wants it to be lived out in those who've been made in his image. And that there's still a possibility for that. More than a possibility, there's actually God at work in that. And he brings redemption, and he brings reunion, and he brings renewal. He brings redemption. He takes sort of where we've been. Jesus comes. We know that Jesus comes, lives a perfect life. He dies on a cross, and on dying on the cross in that sacrifice, all of our brokenness and all that we deserve is poured upon him. Even the abandonment and separation of God is poured upon him. He has purchased our redemption, which means we now have reconciliation with God. We're no longer apart. We've been made alive spiritually. And as we've been made alive spiritually, we're now adopted sons and daughters. We have a reunion with God as Father. This is very powerful. Now in the spirit we have a reunion. There is restored relationship. And out of that relationship comes renewal, which is beautiful community, which is shalom. That's, that's where we've been. And last week we asked the question, what converts the love of Christ for us into our love for others? We had two answers, faith and the Holy Spirit. Faith and the Holy Spirit. The Christian life of love is a supernatural life. It's a supernatural life. We cannot do it on our own. We can't do it in our own strength. We have no ability to do it. And so we talked about this circle, and, and I'm going to give it a title. You know, in Lion King, we have the circle of life, right? Everybody knows that song. It's all about the physical world and the circle of life. In Scripture... We have the circle of spiritual life, and we're going to be looking at that, okay? But one of the brothers here this week, after the sermon last week, sent me a quote by John Comer, and I think it really fits where we're going with this. And so I'm going to put it up, and let's, I'm going to read it so that this moves us into thinking about this circle of spiritual life. In all of Jesus' teachings... What we call God is, in a mysterious but beautiful way, a flow of love between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God is a community of self-giving love. Each member of the Trinity, as theologians call them, is distinct yet somehow still one. To be with the Spirit is to be with Jesus, and to be with Jesus is to be with the Father. It's to enter the flow of love within the inner life of God himself. And that, that's the idea. Enter the flow of love 
within the inner life of God himself. It tells us in 1 John that we who now have the Spirit have fellowship with the Father and the Son. It's the same fellowship that the Trinity has that we now begin to have through the work of the Holy Spirit. And if you put that diagram up, and I asked you guys, you might uh, want to look at this a little bit, you know, on your own, but just think about some of the ways this circle works. The idea behind it is here's faith. Where does faith come from? Faith comes from a recognition, all right? Faith comes from our hearts being opened up, regenerated through irresistible grace because we've been chosen by God. And, and so our hearts are opened up, and as our hearts are opened up, we see what I call poverty of spirit. This is one of the most important principles of faith, right? Poverty of spirit. So I have a definition for this that I want to read. You can put that up. Put the definition up, and then we'll go back to the circle. To be poor in spirit is to recognize your utter spiritual bankruptcy before God. It is understanding that you have absolutely nothing of worth to offer God. Being poor in spirit is admitting that because of your sin, you are completely destitute spiritually and can do nothing to deliver yourself from your dire situation. Is that how you came to faith? Has the Spirit worked that in you? Because this is the essence. This is where we begin. This is what the Holy Spirit does. Opens our eyes to poverty of spirit. Now, if you put the circle back up, now we can work through the circle a little bit. You see what happens. As that happens in our lives, this is the circle of spiritual life. We humble ourselves before God. We repent. We turn away from our rebellion. We turn away from those things. We turn to God. In turning to God, we surrender those things which we know are in rebellion against God, whether it's worldliness, self-effort, the different sins that come from that. And as a result, what we do is we move into fellowship with the Holy Spirit. We become filled with the Spirit. The Spirit begins to empower us to to have fruit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, and also fellowship with, as John Comer says, the flow of love within the inner life of God himself. We begin living out of this in a radically different way than we've ever lived before. And it comes as the Spirit begins to prompt us. And what is that prompting coming from? It comes from us looking, reading, and understanding in new ways the Word of God as it describes faith expressing its love in us, a life in us. And so we then have a decision to make. Am I going to love this person? Am I going to forgive this person? Am I going to be kind to this person? Am I going to humble myself? Am I, am I going to come in a way that I am moving into someone's life in the same way that Jesus would? Now, there's times when we will, and that circle goes around and we see the fruit of that. There's times when we don't. And we've went over this a couple weeks ago. We grieve and we quench the Holy Spirit in us. But don't get so influenced by Satan that you think there's no way back. That's not the point. The circle is you can go back. You basically see yourself again in light of of, uh, who you are before God. And that circle again This is life. This is living out of the gospel. That's what this is. This is the circle of spiritual life. 
And this is where we're at as we move into making a beautiful community. You could take that down. You guys can certainly go through that and add things to it as you'd like. Um, but the fruit of this faith expressing itself in love, it has a number of characteristics that make a community beautiful. We're going to be looking at them now. So see, we're moving from, you know how Paul in a lot of his letters, he, he sort of looks at the theological piece and then he moves into the practical piece. Well, that's where we're at in the sermon series right now. We're moving into what is practically lived out. That's what we're looking at. This is stuff that we've probably all heard before, but let's ask the Holy Spirit to let us hear it in a deeper way in our own hearts. And the, the first two to flow from poverty of spirit are humility and honesty. Humility and honesty. A humble community is where pride and ego are put to death and replaced by selflessness and service, right? It's where pride and ego are put to death and replaced with selflessness and service. So let's think about humility for a little bit. Humility is the honest recognition of our own worth. Our worth as God sees us. I've had this recurring vision through my life of me being before God by myself and what that would look like. And it's never been a pretty picture until Jesus. Because now I know that God sees me through Christ. But there's that sense that I need to see myself before God. And, and humility comes from that honest recognition. It, it's sort of the delicate balance between humbly recognizing my sin, yet knowing how much God loves and values me. I know it. I see who I am. Paul said he was a wretched man, but yet there's no condemnation in those who know Christ Jesus. You see that together. They, they go together. Uh, to be humble in a biblical sense is to disregard all concern for rank and privilege. And to live one's life in service to the least of Christ's disciples and to the least of those in the world, right? It's to accept all, serve all, prefer all in Jesus' name. And I know we've all heard this before, but I think it's good to remind us. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. You got it? Not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. See, the essence of pride is self-concern. What went on in the garden? The essence of pride was, wait a second, God's holding back from me. I can be like God. It's all about me. It's all about what I'm looking at. There's a great illustration of this in Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. I'm sure we all remember the story. Two of the disciples decide that they're going to do what? In one, of the, in one of the accounts, they get their mother to ask Jesus. In the other account, it sounds like they're asking Jesus. But whoever, how that works, they ask Jesus, when you come into your kingdom and your king, can we be on your right or your left? They were basically trying to secure themselves a position of honor and power 
And then there was this whole argument among the disciples about the greatest, right? Who's the greatest? I'm the greatest. No, you're the greatest. Who's the greatest? And Jesus speaks into that pretty powerfully, right? He talks about, uh, you're just acting like all the rulers of the world. All about them usurping power and putting people under their control. But here's why, here's why I came. I came to serve and not be served and to give my life as a ransom for many. Wait a second. What? I, I, I often thought, like, at that point, don't you think they should have all got what Jesus was going to do? But then I got to think about myself and know I'm pretty dense. So here they were. And Jesus just turns it around. And he, what he's talking about there is humility, real humility, to serve, not want to be served. See, pride is the enemy of kingdom living. Pride is the enemy of kingdom living. So then how do we live? How do we live out humility in community? Isn't that where we're at practically? I think we all see that this is scriptural, this is biblical, that this is a call in our lives, that God says through the Spirit, I've given you the ability to do this. How do we do this? What does it look like? And Kim was right. If you start reading Philippians 2, it takes you deep. And uh, it brings you to a place where you really need to see your heart. So we're going to read Philippians 2, verses 3 through 7. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others, just like Jesus did. Have the mind of Jesus. The reason you and I are here today is because Jesus had this mindset. And so I have a list that I'm going to put up. I'm just going to go through it quickly. But I think this is a way to look at it practically. How do we show biblical humility in community? If you could put that up. So the first thing is, we thank God often and always. We thank God often and always. Thankfulness stops pride from growing. Have you ever noticed that? When I have to be thankful, what does that do? It means I have to recognize somebody else. It means I need to lower myself. It means that maybe I haven't been able to take care of myself and somebody has helped me. So thankfulness is a beautiful place to start. It stops pride from growing. Confess your sins regularly. Confession is a reality check as it reminds us who we are. This is the poverty of spirit again. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, you're always getting convicted of sin. Am I right? That's a challenge. Right? Think about it. My life was easy without Jesus. I just rationalized everything I did. 
I was a complete sociopath. It didn't matter what I did. I would rationalize it. I was great at doing that. I had no conviction at all. I could do anything I want, and I'd rationalize it. Isn't that what our culture does? But then you get the Holy Spirit in you, and what happens? All of a sudden, it's like, oh, man, you really shouldn't be doing that. Like, there's something wrong with that. Wait a second, I never felt that way before when I did that Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's right. You never felt that way. And the Holy Spirit begins to work in us. That's what he's calling conforming us to be like Jesus. There's this idea that confession is a reality check. It moves me back to seeing myself as I am before God, and then I come in repentance. It's that circle spiritual life that we're talking about. This idea that we are coming and we're confessing. And here's the thing about this, and I think this is really important if we're going to be in community together. What this really tells me is that I am capable of every evil of every human heart. That in a, if I was put in the same situation as different people, I could and would do the same evil as they would do. Because that's my heart apart from God. And when I begin thinking that way, then I'm not sitting there in judgment of you. I'm as capable of that action that you had. I'm as capable, as a matter of fact, I'm capable of worse. And I begin to see people from a completely different light. You see? And that, that's humility, because now we're all on that same level. There's nothing about you or me that makes us any different or any greater than one another. Because we are capable of the greatest evil. Just think about that for a second. So then be ready to accept humiliations. What? What? What do you mean by that? Exactly what I mean. Be ready to accept humiliation. Here are, here's, here's humiliation. How many of you ever thought you were, okay, I'll, I'll go with sports because you know I like sports. How many of you thought after, after you got done playing sports, you thought, man, that, I was great. That was a great, I mean, there's, and the next day you go out and somebody just whips you up and all of a sudden you're humiliated. Maybe it's in a play. Maybe it's in, in education and, and the way that you go and you have grades and you think, oh man, I'm the best until boom, you're humiliated. You're, you're shamed by, by somebody else being better than you. We live in a world where there's always going to be somebody better than me. And if I put myself in that pedestal, I'm always going to be humiliated and brought down. You see? So don't worry about status. Don't worry about status. This is humility. It's not about status. It's about my identity and who I am in. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And, and here's the question there. What's in it for me? What, what's in this for me? I need my needs met. Or maybe I will use that person for my own personal gain, acting like I really like them, but I don't, or liking like I really like their idea. The idea behind this is selfish ambition and vain conceit. It's all about me. What's in it for me? Value others more highly than ourselves. I think... The, car, the corollary to that is love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Value others more highly 
than yourselves. How do I look at people? How do I think about people? How do I step into their lives? This is why we need to go back in prayer. This is why we need to go to the Holy Spirit. This is why we need the Spirit working in our lives. The, the description of that. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. Look at the description of these things, right? Care about the interest of others. Care about the interest of others. I got to tell you, it's taken me a long time, and I'm a pastor, to care about the interest of others. That's not, my, that's not my default mechanism. We were just talking about that in Sunday school class. That's one of those default mechanisms the Holy Spirit has to change in me. See, that, that, that's where it goes. Be willing to take the lowest position. What? I know, teenagers, you all like this, right? Taking the lowest position. Believe me, the adults are the same as all of us. Nobody likes the lowest position. But what is it when you step into the lowest position? What is it when you let somebody go before you or you, you help somebody out that other people don't like or there's, there's somebody in your circle that uh, people uh, really don't want to be around, but you take the lowest place and you step in. What, what's it like when you do that? What, how, does, how does that work in another person's life? Ask questions. Ask questions. I will tell you that my mother-in-law is great at asking questions. Sometimes we're like, we really don't need to ask that question, Mom. But she asked those questions because there's a concern, there's an interest as to what's going on in that person. And it doesn't end with, like they said that, it's like, oh, I'm going to ask a couple more questions. And then listen, really listen. Humility listens. Humility listens to people, wants to hear what they have to say. These are very practical ways if we're thinking about it. This is, this is what this Philippians 2 passage is about. This is the mind of Christ. We see Christ doing this all the time. Christ did this when he lived on this earth. Just go through the Gospels again and watch Jesus with these things in mind and see how he lives this out. And it's the same spirit that's in us. Hallelujah. See, this is the thing about doing two of these at once. There's too much material in here. All right. <clears throat> we're, going to, uh, we're going to go quickly through honesty. I think you all know about honesty. But, but humility leads to living honestly with true integrity. And it comes in the light of our identity in Christ. Honesty is connected to our identity in Christ. Right? What is honesty? Honesty is speaking and acting truthfully. It's more than not lying or deceiving or stealing or cheating. It entails showing respect toward others and having integrity and self-awareness, having vulnerability, transparency, and authenticity, being known as we are really known, right? Being known as I really am. We just had this exercise in the Sunday school class, right? We had to talk about what what. What was that predominant influence in my life? And we had to share that. People had to become vulnerable with one another, authentic with one another. It builds community. It's sort of what we're doing. Honesty is so important. You can't really have relationships without honesty. 
they're not going to be true relationships. Think about that for a second. See, what we experience in our world are relationships that are 180, the opposite of this honesty, right? I call it the imposter syndrome. Everybody's living another life. And now with, with what we have on media, what we have with, you know, Instagram, Facebook, X, I mean, we think about it, people can make up whoever they are. Every day you can be somebody different. I don't know how you keep up with it, but every day you can be somebody different. It's the imposter syndrome. We all have it, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit and having our identity in Christ, because we want people to see us in a particular way. I want this group to see me this way. I want this group to see me this way. I want this group to see me this way. So when I'm going here, I'm dressing this way. And when I'm going here, I'm acting intellectual. And when I'm going here, I'm acting like a crazy man. It gets radically confusing. No wonder we have so much craziness in our world. But that's the way it is. Apart from my identity in Christ, I will not be honest because I want the approval of people. Now, if I know the approval of God in my life, I know my identity in Christ, I know who I am, I don't worry about that. I truly, when I came to Christ, it was the greatest thing in the world. I, I truly did not have to put any of those acts on, and I had a lot of them. It's, it's amazing. And then when you step into a community of people who aren't being imposters all the time, you actually begin to get to know the real person, right? You get to know who that person is. And so let me just read out of 1 John verses 5 through 9, because this really speaks to that. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, again, we're talking about that fellowship now, that circle spiritual life. If we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. The Spirit's working in you. Darkness isn't going to be alive. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We're being humble. We're being honest. We are being, our lives are in the light. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, walking in the light means fellowship with one another. It's koinonia. That word is koinonia. It means communion, true community, real relationship. We're finished pretending. We're finished hiding. We're finished covering up. You know the real me and I know the real you. And there's consistency in that because faith works through love. And how does that all become consistent? It becomes consistent when I go in humility and repentance before the blood of Christ and confess my sins. See, this is not something that happens once. It happens daily. It happens because I am a sinner because I need to come to the Lord. I need the Spirit to reveal that to me. I need to repent of that. Then the Spirit fills me up again, gives me the power to get out there, gives me the ability to say, this is who I am, 
gives me the ability to care about somebody else, moves me in a position where I then move in the community in that way. And this is, this is how it works for us. This is the circle of spiritual life that we're all a part of. And I had a chart. I'm going to take very quick to just go through this. What does it mean to be honest with God? Here's the idea. When you're honest with God, it's actually the same as being honest with others. It's the same thing, right? You show him your heart. When I'm with other people, what do I do? I show them my heart. You open yourself to vulnerability. I'm vulnerable with God. I'm vulnerable with you. There's no reason not to be. You talk with him about the ways you self-protect. If we're sharing about things, I'll tell you how I self-protect. You tell him about your sin struggle. We tell God, but we tell one another because that fellowship is the same. We're moving in the same circle. You let him know what you are thinking and feeling. You admit your weaknesses. We do that with one another as we do it with God. That's walking in the light. That's walking in the light. That's beautiful community. I want you to know that you could be in a small group and not live this way. I've known small groups. I knew one in particular where three couples, there's four couples, three of those couples were struggling. They were on the verge of divorce, and nobody in their small groups knew that. What is going on there? Well, there's not humility and honesty going on there. It was pretending. And then I've been in small groups where, wow, every time we met, we saw the power of the Holy Spirit at work because people were vulnerable. People were honest. People were willing to listen. This is what God gives us. I was thinking about this. Um, just this last week, Karen got a call from somebody that was young when we were having a small group. But because of the impact, I believe, of that small group in that community, in the midst of probably the hardest thing that's ever happened in her entire life, who did she call? She called Karen. Karen said she was afraid to call me. I don't know why. I'm such a nice guy. I'm the pastor. I'm the authority figure. But anyway, the idea behind it was she really did want me to give her a call. And I gave her a call. And now we have the privilege of stepping into one of the hardest circumstances of this person's life and being able to be an impact into a larger community. But it's because the community that she saw was one that she felt she could be honest and vulnerable with. See, this, this is what God wants to create in us. That isn't just here, but it's even those on the outside are impacted by it. That's what God's calling us to. I'm going to stop here because we have to have communion because I, I can go on. I, I've seen God at work. It's, it's, there's nothing like beautiful community. I'm going to tell you that right now. And when it's being lived out, you want to be a part of it. It's contagious. And that's what we want to be. That's what we want to grow into. We want God to make us that way. So let's begin practicing humility and honesty as we move forward. Let me 
Let me just move now to the communion table. The worship team can come up as we're, as we're thinking about these things. It is a wonderful place to come. <clears throat> this table is definitely a place of humility. It's a place of honesty. Right? We have a humble servant Savior who was willing to be broken for us, willing to go to the cross for us, willing to actually, what? Become obedient to death. That we might know life, love, relationship, forgiveness, reconciliation, and eternal life. This table represents that. We are to remember This is what God has given us in Jesus Christ. We now have fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We now have the ability to come and lay our hearts before him and know forgiveness and reconciliation. That's, that's how we come to this, and it just doesn't end there. We know that he's going to continue to work until he comes back again. And when he moves us into the new city, It'll be beautiful community forever. It'll be shalom. This table represents that. As we come to this table this morning, where is your heart? Where is your heart? This is a time for you, brothers and sisters, to come. What's burdening you? Where is your rebellion at? What are some of the things you're doing? Where have you not been honest before God and before others? Where are you not caring about other people? Where is it that the Spirit needs to work? Where do you need to come and say, Lord, forgive me. I'm just not loving in the way you're calling me to love. I'm afraid to be honest. Take a few moments now. Come. And if you're here today and you don't have this faith that we've been talking about, you're not here by chance. You're here because the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now, has invited you in that you might come, that you might experience this circle of spiritual life. It's this moment when we come to communion that you come to God in your own heart and humble yourself before him. So this meal is not for you if you don't know him. This is a time for you to come and know him. But for you who do know him, this meal is for you. So take a few moments before the Lord now. Bring your heart to him.